Good morning. He is risen. Some of you who've been around churches long enough know that that's one of the things we do. We say he is risen and you respond, he is risen indeed. Let's do that again. He is risen. This is actually what we call the Paschal greeting. It wasn't something that was normally just used for Easter. In fact, this goes back centuries. Some say maybe even into the first century, shortly after the resurrection of Jesus. And it was a way for people who followed what they called, they didn't call them Christians back then, they just call it the way. People who followed the way would identify themselves when they greeted each other. It's kind of like saying, what's up? You know, you would go up to somebody and say, he is risen. And if you knew, you knew, this was kind of like a code language. If they responded similarly that he is risen, indeed he is risen, you knew that person was also a follower of the way. And that was one of the ways that they greeted one another. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is not just an Easter thing. It's an everyday sort of thing. The Christian story is based upon, is founded upon this thing that we celebrate today. The whole reason that people go to church on Sundays instead of on Saturdays is because of the resurrection. It is because of Easter that our faith makes any sense at all. As St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. And if Christ had not been raised, our faith is futile, and we are still in our sins. So without Easter, the Christian faith means nothing. Christianity would be nothing more than a self-help message about living well and being good to one another, belonging to a social club that does stuff together. Now, I'll be honest, that's not a bad place to start. The world could use a whole lot more of people living well and treating each other well, right? But the Easter message shows us a whole lot more than that. You see, Easter is more than just theological claims, ideas, some philosophy about the right way to live, or even a philosophy about eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. Easter does include all of that. It is part of it, but there's more. You see, in this story, in the history and in the truth of Easter, we are invited to experience a very real life experience with Jesus. That is, when we embrace who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, our journey through life, not just in a life that is to come, but in this life, in the here and now, we are invited to experience love, hope, and overwhelming joy. This is what we are invited to when we celebrate and experience and embrace the risen Jesus. This morning, I'm going to try to be really brief. I know you, guys, you all didn't come here to listen to me drone on. We're going to reflect on a few things about this Easter story this morning. Three emotional turns, three scenes that happen in the story. And in these scenes, we see the impact of a risen Jesus on those who said they followed him. And in the end, I hope that you and I will see how a life 
following Jesus is a life worth living. I'm going to read from John chapter 20. You can follow along if you would like, or the words are going to be on the screen. John chapter 20. Now, this sort of account does take place. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're all written with slightly different perspectives, and we're going to look at it from the perspective of the Gospel writer John this morning. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. On the early day, first, on the, early on the first day of the next week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone, the big heavy stone, had been moved from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, who, the unnamed one being John, who wrote the story, wrote the gospel. She came to them and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started to run. They ran for the tomb. They started for the tomb. They were running. One outpaced the other. I don't know. I guess Peter was a little bit out of shape. John just ran past him, and then he waited there, reached reached the tomb first, and he bent over, looked into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. He was kind of confused. He didn't know what to do. Then Peter, all brash like he is, just went in and charged straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen. And finally, John, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw and believed. What he believed is up for question. Because it says this, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had risen, had to rise from the dead. Maybe he believed Mary, because Mary's story made no sense. And he went in there, and he's like, oh my goodness, Mary was right. This body is gone. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside of the tomb, crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look at the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the, uh, the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was him. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Oh, the text got slipped a little bit. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, I have carried him away. Tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. And Jesus said to her, calling her by name, Mary, She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, or Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I have yet to ascend to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father, your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she she told them, that he had said all of these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, 
with the door locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Here in this Easter story, we see three emotional turns that take place that help us understand what it means for us to experience God, to experience the risen Jesus in everyday life. And the first turn that happens is a turn that goes from a sense of abandonment to a feeling of love. Here were people, disciples, who had given up practically everything. Fishermen who had laid down their nets, let go of their occupation to follow this teacher. There was a tax collector who gave up of his wealth. Disciples who had left family and friends behind. Among them, women who helped fund and support Jesus' ministry. A mother who was full of faith, yet pained to see her son die such a gruesome death on a cross. To the followers of Jesus, his death was abandonment. On Friday night, there was shock and horror as they watched from a distance. The shame of knowing that they too had abandoned him. But when they wake up on Saturday, the nightmare has not ended. You can imagine on Friday night, they are weeping in their beds, crying over the loss of their friend. And the next morning they get up and it was not a dream. Jesus was gone. The nightmare continued. Abandonment. When I think about abandonment, it reminds me of another, a different holidays movie, Home Alone. Some of you are way too young to know this film. But in the film, now there's a whole lot of plot holes, don't get me started. I mean, why doesn't somebody just call the cops, right? I mean, they could call the cops from over there where they are and say, hey, could you check on this kid? That would have solved, there would have been no movie. In this movie, an 11-year-old Kevin McAllister, played by Macaulay Culkin, is left behind as the family goes on vacation on a trip. Accidentally. I mean, they had too many kids to keep track of. We've got a lot of kids, too. We're not going to leave you guys behind. Um, And they go off, and they're gone, and they realize a little bit too late that they left him. But one thing that kind of strikes me as odd is that Kevin McAllister doesn't seem to be all that bothered. I mean, he gets to work to figure out what he's going to do and all that, and he has his few moments. But he doesn't really seem to feel that sense of abandonment that fully, does he? Think about a real-life situation where you feel like you've been left behind. Some of you have felt that way at the loss of loved ones, the loss of children before their time, the loss of a spouse, 
Sometimes you may feel that as friends move on in life and don't seem to bring you along. The sense of abandonment is real, and for the disciples, it must have hurt so deeply. Jesus talked about leaving and going, but it seemed like, what about us? We've been following you. We left everything behind to follow you, and now what? They were left behind. He parted ways. They made plans with him, but now he was gone. But then, Jesus appears. When Jesus speaks to Mary, there's a tenderness in his voice as he asks her, repeats the question that the angels had asked her earlier, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? But in her sense of loss, she has no idea who is talking to her. She is blinded in her sense of abandonment and sorrow. She's not even phased by the fact that there are two angels sitting there. Everywhere else in Scripture, when people encounter the angels, they are scared and terrified. But here, Mary Magdalene does not care. She's like, sure, there's some glowing dudes over here. So what? I'm sad. Mary was so consumed by her loss that she couldn't see what was around us. And isn't that how it is sometimes? That when we're feeling overwhelmed or the emotions are so rich and filled with fire in our hearts, in our minds, it becomes difficult for us to hear and see the things that we need to see and need to hear. Kind of reminds me of when my kids are playing Super Smash Brothers and I'm trying to get their attention. I say, hey, and there's no response. And I call their names and still. As a parent, I should know better. Don't talk to them while they're playing. But still, I wish that my voice could cut through, that my voice would cut through and they would hear me. But you know what cuts through finally here in this passage? It is Jesus calling Mary by name. A moment of personal connection. A moment in which Jesus expresses to his friend, I know you. I see you. And I am here. It is a moment in which Mary's sense of having been abandoned is replaced with the sense of being loved, being known. From abandonment to love. And a second turn takes place also from despair to hope. Prior to the events that, of Jesus' death, the mood around Jesus' camp was pretty positive. Something special was happening among them. Miracles were happening. And I'd like to highlight a group of people that maybe doesn't get enough attention in the Bible story. And that is how the women may have felt who were followers of Jesus in that day. You see, in every account of the resurrection, the women feature prominently. And that's important. Jesus was a man who seemed to defy the trends of his day. He spoke openly to women. He spoke with the Samaritan woman who may have had a checkered past. 
He defended a woman who had been caught in adultery. He was doing things that no man in those days should do. He allowed a woman to wash his feet with her tears and hair. Something different was happening with the way that Jesus interacted with women. There were disciples. There was that scene in which there's a woman, Mary, and a woman, Martha, who are together. And Mary sits at the feet of the teacher to learn. In other words, Mary was one of the disciples. Not one of the twelve, but she was a disciple. And in those days, they did not take women disciples. But Jesus did. Jesus represented something different, a change in the sea, so to speak, a new kind of access for those women, and there was so much hope. Mary Magdalene, here in our story this morning, she, by most scholars' account, was somebody who had some degree of wealth because she helped fund some of Jesus' travels and ministry. She had been somebody that had been freed from her demonic plagues, and her life had been changed and turned around. She invested real resources into this guy's future, and then he was gone, and so was all her investments. It's like the market crashed, and everything you had was on the stock market. When Jesus died, all of that hope disappeared. Neither she nor any of the others would understand that Jesus had to die and would rise again. They got their hopes up, and at the last minute, it was all gone. Any Dodgers fans? I don't think I need to go into it more than that for the last two years. We get our hopes up, and then we're disappointed. But this this disappointment was so deep for both the women and the men in this story. Despair, and yet tenderness once again. Jesus says to her, don't hold on to me, not like let go of me, but there's something more. Don't grasp to what is just here, because What you see now isn't all there is. There is more. There is a future. There is a hope. There is a hopeful orientation in the way that Jesus interacts with her, calling her to pay attention to the fact that there is more coming. The fact that he has appeared is just the beginning. And just like to Mary, the invitation is the same, to orient our hearts away from the despair toward an open-handed hope not a grasping or holding on to something here, but an open-handed hope to the future that God, through Jesus, has made possible. From despair to hope, and third, from sorrow to overwhelming joy. This is the third turn in the story. From the moment that that Mary realizes that, yep, for sure, the body's gone, The passage here in John uses the word for cry or weep four times in the span of about four verses. The emotional language in the passage is rich. Mary is steeped in sorrow. But yet, the fifth time 
that the word is used, something changes. Because she cries, cries out, calls out Jesus is, that, to Jesus, teacher, because she recognizes who he is. The emotion of the weeping turns from sorrow, tears of sorrow, towards tears of joy. It's like the person who stays home while their spouse is on a tour of duty abroad, and after a half a year or a year or more apart, finally that loved one comes home. Tears roll down their face. Not tears of sorrow, but tears of reunion and joy. Tears that roll down your face the first time you hold your first child. Tears of joy, things that many of us can relate to. I happen to be a crier. Now, you guys probably don't see that in me. Is Kurt here today? <laughs> For those of you that don't know Kurt, Kurt is, a, is also a crier. I'm so much a crier that I cried at the film Chicken Run. Maybe, I don't know if it's a bit of pride or a bit of shame. It's a moment where this one chicken comes back to the coop to finally go save the rest of the chickens. And he comes charging in, and it's a stupid scene. But it was a moment where there was a reunion. All of a sudden, he had come back. They thought he had gone. They thought that chicken had escaped and left the rest of them to die by the farmer's hands. And finally, the chicken comes back. They see the chicken. They're overjoyed. And I shed tears. It was stupid, but the point is the same. There are such things as really happy tears that happen when we are reunited, when relationships are reformed. And this is part of the Easter story. When tears turn from sorrow into joy overwhelming joy. When Peter and John, who's the unnamed disciple, visit the tomb, they couldn't make sense of what was going on, and so they go home, still in fear. They lock the door. They don't know what is happening. They don't get it yet. And then when Jesus shows up in verse 20 to them and shows them that it is indeed him, the passage says they were overjoyed, not just happy, not just excited, but euphoric, ecstatic, filled with overwhelming joy. Joy in what? Joy in some declaration that their sins had been forgiven? Well, it was true, but I don't think that's what they were thinking about in that moment. Joy in thinking about the fact, the theological claim that Jesus had conquered sin and death, And so that there was hope for eternal life? Maybe true, but that's not what they were thinking at the time. Those answers seem a little bit too abstract, too theoretical. Instead, what they experienced was the kind of experience that we have in everyday life when we are reunited. An overwhelming joy of seeing a relationship that had been cut off, had been broken by the bonds of death, to be reformed, restored, and built anew through new life. And this is what Easter shows us. 
an invitation to embrace a restored, reformed relationship with the divine. To see that in Jesus' resurrection, it's not about abstract ideas and platitudes, but it is about the everyday real experience of knowing that you, friends, here in this room, you are loved by God. And that God knows you and calls you by name and says to you, I am here. I see your pain. I see your sorrow. I see your abandonment. I see your despair. But I am here. For Jesus and God to go to those people suffering in Sri Lanka right now. And not to say that the pain doesn't exist at all. But to say that Jesus is there and sees them all and knows them all by name. The invitation to embrace Easter is an invitation to experience God not just in the afterlife, but in the here and now, in everyday life. Friends, you are invited to a life of love, hope, and overwhelming joy. Easter turns abandonment, despair, and sorrow what we see in Good Friday and the Saturday after, and turns them around. It takes the darkness of sin and death and all the brokenness and broken relationships, the brokenness of our world, the pain and the regret of what could have been, and points to a future of not what only could be, but what should be, a life that is reunited with God. God sees your pain and your sorrow. I know, we've, I've been here among you as a church for nine months. Many of you wrestle with deep pains and struggles, have gone through very difficult times or continue to go through very hard times in your lives. You feel the pain of loss and abandonment and despair. But God sees you. God reaches out the divine hand towards you and says, come, journey with me through this life. Come and experience love, hope, and overwhelming joy. There are a number of ways that you may wish to respond to this morning's Easter message. Some of you may want to make a commitment to say, you know, I've thought about Jesus and the Easter stuff and all this Jesus dying on the cross stuff as theoretical ideas. But maybe it's time for you to make Jesus a bigger part of your everyday life. If that's something you want to do, do it seriously. And I promise you, when you lean into that, God will honor that and you will know God better and experience this love, hope, and joy. You can mark that on your, your car. No one's going to hound you or anything. But just as a way to say, yeah, I want to do this. 
you can go ahead and mark that on your card if you'd like. Maybe some of you are thinking, you know what, I've got a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, who needs to be reminded that there is a God out there offering this kind of relationship. Maybe God is calling you to be an ambassador of this love, hope, and joy. Maybe that's something that you want to consider. Maybe you want to give an Easter gift to someone. You know, we often think about Christmas as a time to exchange gifts. But what better time to give gifts to celebrate than on the day that makes all of our faith make sense? Easter. Maybe you want to give somebody a gift just to remind them that they are loved by God. Friends, you are loved by God. God knows you by name and invites you to journey in this life and the next with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you did not leave those disciples where they were, but that there was a plan to restore it all Because you came and you lived and you died and you rose again, not just so that we could believe in some sort of abstract ideas, but so that we could experience in this life your love, hope, and joy. And God, for those who are here in this room this morning who are struggling with difficult things, God, I pray that they would know your love, hope, and joy, that they would be able to hear your voice calling their name. And Lord, would they reach out to you with open hands and go where you lead them. Lord, thank you for the power of your resurrection, for the joy that we celebrate today that makes following you make sense. Not just some teacher, not just some nice guy, but the risen Christ, Savior of the world, come to show us that God loves us and wants to journey with us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.